And we are here precisely because we have found Jesus to be the healer of our brokenness. But for some reason in the church, we feel like Jesus is perfect, so I've got to be perfect. And so we put on this veneer. It's just not reality. I like what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He's reminding the Corinthians, because they were starting to get a little puffed up, starting to put on a veneer of how awesome they were. And he reminds them, brothers and sisters, think of what you were. Think, just think about it. When you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and, and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one who boasts, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so we are here, I think sometimes we forget, because we have found Jesus to be the healer of our brokenness, to be our, our redeemer and, and the one who has put our life back together. And, and my prayer has been like through this series that we would uh, become more authentic with one another and it would lead to deeper healing and a deeper uh, relationship with Jesus. And uh, I wavered a little bit in my preparation for today, uh, even this morning Typically, my Sunday morning routine, I get up, I go through the message, then I spend about 30 minutes praying, then I get ready and come to church. Today, I flipped it. I prayed first. I was like, God, if you want me to change what I'm going to be talking about, feel free. Feel free. Now, now is the time. And it was crickets, just like right there. Uh, no, nothing. And so, um, I, I don't know... I'm going to share some personal things this morning. I don't know what the repercussions will be, and I don't know how you will respond. And, and my desire, every time that we leave on Sundays, we gather and we leave, is that when you leave this place, you're thinking more about Jesus. Amen? And so the danger in me sharing my story is that gets you thinking more about me. But my hope is that in sharing my story, you'll be thinking more about Jesus. My sermon title today is Still... I rise. Still, I rise. If you have your Bibles, we're going to spend most of the morning in Micah chapter 7. Micah was a, a little prophet in length. I don't know how big Micah was. Uh, in the Old Testament, Micah chapter 7, verse 1, it'll, it'll be on the, on the screen as well. But Micah chapter 7, verse 1, starts off real upbeat. What misery is mine? I am like the one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. So the writer has gone out to get something to eat from the vineyard, come back hungry. The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. They hunt each other down with nets. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. Just in case you were wondering, like they're half bad. No, they're all in, in the evil the ruler demands gifts. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright, worse than a thorn hedge. The day God visits you has come. The day your watchmen sound the alarm. Now is the time of your confu confusion. 
Do not trust a neighbor. Put no confidence in a friend. Even with the woman who lies in your embrace, guard the words of your lips. For a son dishonors his father. A daughter rises up against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. This is the origin of mother-in-law jokes. I just made that up. All right, that's not true. Uh, A man's enemies are members of his own household. But as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. No mincing words. Like no beating around the bush. Uh, Micah was a prophet to Israel about 700 years before Jesus. And during that time, Israel was in two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom. There was a southern kingdom. And the greatest enemy of Israel at that time was Assyria. If you study history, Assyria was the the first great empire in the world. And what set uh, Assyria apart from other empires was they were skilled at uh, siege warfare, setting siege to a city and and just starving them out. And they used terror tactics. Like like you wouldn't wouldn't believe if, I mean, you can Google it. I'll I'll share just a a little bit of of what they did. and so what, what they loved to do was make an example of anyone who resisted them. And so they would use just the utmost terror that you can imagine to make their other subjects subject. Like, okay, we, you got us. And there's an inscription in the city of Nimrod, which is part of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, in the inscription that archaeolo- archaeologists found was, uh, was an example of one time when a city had rebelled. And so the king, Ashurbanipal, this is all history, isn't is make-believe. Uh, he went in and set an example, and there's an inscription where King Asher Banipal wrote this. He said, I built a pillar at the gate, and I flayed all the chief men who had revolted, and I covered the pillar with their skins. Like, I mean, these, these were evil people. Some I walled up inside the pillar, some I impaled upon the, uh, upon the pillar on stakes. That's just one example of of how brutal Assyria was. And so Micah, he is prophesying at the time when Assyria is is building up their army. They're coming closer. Uh, But the Israelites are like, no, we got God. We're good. Like, we don't have to worry about that. And Micah comes and he says, in Micah chapter 7, it's the end of the book. He's talked about Assyria. In fact, we think Micah saw the northern kingdom destroyed. Where they came in in 722 B.C. and wiped out the northern kingdom. So they've got this enemy coming. But Micah says, your greatest enemy is not Assyria. It's the, the greatest enemy of the people of God. And what it's always been has, is your sin, is your greatest enemy. And so he puts uh, like Assyria versus their own, their own sin. And, and even for us, external threats, things that are going on in the world around us, are not the greatest threats to our lives. It's our own sinfulness. It's the choices that, that we make. And, and in Micah, he goes through in different chapters and talks about their sins. He calls them out. In chapter 2, I'll just go through a couple of them real quick. In chapter 2, it says, They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. For some reason, that reminds me of the eminent domain. I don't know, where the government just comes in. And, uh, in chapter 6, he talks about dishonesty and, and business. Shall I acquit someone with dishonest scales, with a bag of false weights? Your rich people are violent, your inhabitants are liars, and their tongues speak deceitfully. 
but it's not just businessmen and women. Then he talks about the politicians and the preachers and the prophets. Micah 3, her leaders judge for a bribe. You know, just slipping something under the table. We can change this outcome. Her priests teach for a price, and her prophets all tell fortunes for money. In other words, they preach for hire. They just preach what the people wanted to hear, especially what the rich people wanted to hear. Let's make sure everybody stays comfortable so that we can get our buildings built and we can you know, just go on about our business. And Micah is warning them, and it's not a, a popular job that Micah has. And he, he says, whether you're corrupted in business or commerce or religion or politics, that God was going to bring judgment. Amen? No amen. No, no one amens that ever. God's judgment. But then in Micah chapter 7, verse 8, so back where we started, Micah says, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. It's like, yes, we're, we are broken. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath. Um, now, for the next few minutes, I'm going to share what's possibly the, the worst, day, worst day of my life. Some things I'm not proud of, some things that were my fault, some things outside of my, my control. Um, and last Sunday after the service, my mom came to me and she's like, I've got to be in preschool next week, so I'm going to miss it. And I was like, I know, I set it up that way, mom. <laughs> she's like, what? No, you didn't. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't. It's bad enough. I'm about to share in front of the church, let alone have my mom standing there. And she's like, oh, what, what bad stuff could there be in your life, Matthew? You're like, what? Thanks, mom. I'm like, mother, mother, mother. Um, and, and speaking every, every week in front of you and seeing Elora and me and seeing our 2.3 kids and our house, like I don't know what image we portray like, or, or what you, you think about us. I mean, you, you might think that we're crazy. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with crazy. Uh, you, you might think like, oh, man, the Culver's, they, they got it all together. Ah, uh, like... <laughs> I'm about to change that perception, all right? That's about to change real quick. So I can remember uh, the first time that, the time I was introduced to pornography. See, it's about to change. I was about 14. I was at my friend's house. There was another friend there, and he, he brought a magazine. This was before uh, the internet and before these things were readily available, and um, I remember the house I was at. I remember my friends. I don't remember the exact date. Um, but so when I was 14, I looked at pornography once, end of story. I wish that was the end of story. Um, but just as, as a side note, um, I don't think we've ever talked about pornography in here on a, a Sunday. And I'm not, if you've been here more than a week, you know I'm not like a fire and brimstone type preacher. But pornography is of the devil. There's... There was no such thing as ethically sourced pornography. Um, it is, it is a, a cheap fix. It's a cheap imitation. It's self-gratifying sexuality that objectifies and demeans the one being viewed, most often women. Um, and the problem in our, our current culture is that almost half of Americans, 43% last year galloped at a poll, say that pornography 
is morally acceptable. Like there is nothing wrong with pornography. If you were to ask uh, millennials and, and generation, what is more immoral? Not recycling or pornography? The majority of young people will say not recycling is worse than pornography. So we, we have this, this idea, it's, it's, we've kind of downplayed pornography in our, our culture, and we need to understand there's grace and forgiveness, but Jesus didn't mince words when it came to, to your, uh, what your eyes see and what your heart desires. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Um, so from the, the time the internet became a thing and everybody had it, I have had and used covenant eyes. Anyone ever heard of covenant eyes? A couple nods. Uh, so covenant eyes is a, uh, it's hard to see it, but on the bottom it's internet accountability and filtering. So internet filters, you know, block certain sites. This is not really that. This steps the game up just a bit. It, it records all the websites that you go to on your phone, on your computer, and it sends it to somebody. It costs about, um, there's a monthly fee, it's about the same as a Netflix subscription, and I highly recommend it. So any website you've been to, it takes it list, it sends it to the person of your choice. So about weekly, I don't know, I don't get the reports, Elora gets a report of all of my website browsing. And so if, if pornography is a struggle for anybody here, I would encourage you to check out Covenant Eyes. And it flags, like, if, if there's uh, inappropriate material, it'll flag the person who's getting the list. And so you're like, well, who, who should I send it to? Well, not your buddy, all right, who's ha having the same struggle. Send it to your mom or send it to your spouse or someone who's like, you don't, you don't want them to see. Um, and, and so the Lord gets that, that list so 2013, March 27th, was, um, was, was a tough day. And if anyone's been married for any length of time, you know, marriage ebbs and, and flows. So there's ups and there's downs and, um, and, and just how close you feel to one another and intimacy. Um, and, um, well, you know, intimacy can cover a whole, whole broad things. And um, just a, a few days before March 27th, Laura was, was pretty sick. She wasn't feeling well, and um, she was lying on the, on the couch in the living room, and you come, into the, you come up the stairs, there's a couch there, um, and our, our computer's right over here, and uh, so she's not feeling well, and we, we tend to minimize things or make excuses, right, for the reasons we, we do things, um, and it wasn't, it wasn't one of the high points in our marriage, and uh, so, you know, I make, I make excuses, and, uh, but that night, while the Lord was sick, I spent an hour in the same room looking at pornography, over on the computer, while, you know, like, wasn't, I was thinking, we, we justify, I'm, I'm not hurting anyone, no one's going to know, I had covenant eyes, but the, my covenant eyes had expired. Like it, like it, and so I, I, it wouldn't hurt anything. Um, so it was about an hour, and, and after that, I didn't, I didn't think about it. 
much just kind of went on. Uh, a couple of days later, I was working. I worked for the town of Breckenridge as a first responder. And I came home on a lunch break. And it was one of those days where I was going to, you know, like I had talked myself up coming into the house. Like I'm going to be extra encouraging. Um, sometimes as a spouse, you got to do that, right? I'm going to um, be, be affirming. And I come in, come up, and again, come up the stairs uh, and look over. And he lowers on the computer. Her, her back is to me. I can't see the screen, and then, you know, walk in, like, everything's, everything's fine, how's it going? And as I get closer to her, all of a sudden on the screen, I see all the images that I had looked at just a couple days before. Apparently, Covenant Eyes was still working. And it's, it's dated, it's timed and dated. So she's recalling back, like, when would this have happened? Oh, when I was on the couch, sick. So in that moment when I should have been fulfilling my vows in sickness and in health, I was disrespecting Elora at best and being unfaithful at worst. And, you know, in, I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that where all of a sudden, like, it's laid bare, like your, your, your innermost weakness, sin is laid bare before someone, but I, just like that, had nothing, what, what, what do you say? Like what, uh, I was on my lunch break, uh, I had to get back to work, but you know, all, the, all of a sudden there's, there's things that come to your mind of like, I, what's she going to do? Uh, regret, shame, guilt, like Bible verses, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. This ain't no pure heart. Uh, like I'm, I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to be in, in ministry. It, like how, did, how have I let my wife down so much? Like how, so all, all this brokenness, just everything shattered Right, just in that, in that moment, and I still had to go back to work. So I go back to work. It's getting close to 5 o'clock, quitting time. I don't, I don't want to go home. And I have just about uh, clocked out for the day, and I was a first responder, and dispatch 911 on the radio gave us a call that there was a report of a, a child not breathing, not conscious. So, the, uh, it's like I've already, uh, Elora and I were talking about it this week a little bit, and it's not something that we bring up very often, um, a conversation we, we like to have, and, and Elora, we still talk about it. I was like, you know, we were, how were you feeling? She's like, I still have feelings of inadequacy, just thinking about it. Hmm? Um, she felt betrayed, like she wasn't good enough. The opposite of cherished, uh, and she's tried to uh, to put it out of her memory. And those are all correct responses on her behalf. Like those are all valid ways to respond. Um, so, lights and sirens, 
I'm accelerating down the street, barely slowing down to get through stop signs. There's an adrenaline rush. My anxiety is, is rising. I'm trying to, to get to this, uh, to this apartment. It's just about a mile away. I'm the first one on scene. One of my coworkers pulls up about that same time. We jump out. There's a lady outside. She's in hysterics. Um, she's crying. We find out she's the, the mother. We can't really communicate. She only speaks Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. I grab the AED. That's the, the shock. The defibrillate. Defibrillate. The AED. I'm going to go with that. Uh, I, I, grab, I grab that, run, in, run into the apartment, dinner's on, so there's smells of, of dinner. The mom points us around the corner, so we go through the, the living room into a bedroom, and then there's a bathroom, and on the floor is a one-year-old boy who's um, he's, he's wet, he's, he's, he's warm, he's not breathing, he's not conscious. So immediately, my, my partner and I, we begin CPR on this one-year-old baby, um, and So we, we get the AED ready, we, we put the, the AED, um, it's not really pads, it's more like these sticky things blow off, and, and we wait, we let it calibrate, and it's devising no shock, begin CPR. Uh, so we begin CPR, I have the CPR mask, I, I try to give a breath into the, into the baby, the baby vomits out water, try to give another breath, more water's coming out, my coworker picks up the baby, turns the baby over, if you have a baby you know, if it's choking, turn it upside down, face down, give several strikes, go back, uh, CPR again, uh, it, seemed like, it seemed like an eternity, but uh, the whole while I'm thinking, man, we got here fast, this little baby, these babies are strong, he's going to be, he's going to be all right, um, so the, the medics arrive and they take the boy to the emergency room because there's, there's, still, there's still hope. Um, and so just after the medics leave, uh, my, my coworker and I, we're still on the scene, the, the police investigators show up because at this point you don't, don't know if the baby's going to live, live or die, and so they have to do a full investigation. Just, was there negligence? Was this intentional? Like you just, you just don't know, which just adds another layer to the complexity of what, what's going on, and um, what, what we found out was that the, uh, the two children, the one-year-old and, and like a two-year-old, were in the tub. The, the drain was not, the drain was open, but the, the water was running. Mom was cooking dinner. She was making tortillas and menudo, um, and was coming back and forth. The, there's, the door was open, but from the kitchen, you can't see the bathroom, so she's coming, going back and forth. Every parent has bathed their kids at some time has left, left the room. Um, comes back and going back and forth. At, at, one, at some point, the, the plug gets pushed down. Mom doesn't know about it. Mom comes back in. The youngest one is face down in the water, can't breathe. So mom uh, got the baby out, calls us. We're, the, we're, there, we're there pretty quick. Um, so I have to go back and I have to write up a, a report what happened, and uh, I'm still thinking, uh, the little guy didn't make it. He, he did not make it. And uh, so my coworker and I, we, we had held this boy still, still warm. His life left him. Britt was only two. I 
So I was, I was already wrecked. And then to have to think about this heartbroken mother. Was there something we could have done different if we had just got there sooner? And now I have to go home. And I need to cry. And I need the Lord to, to be there for me. But I've just broken her heart. And horribly wounded her. So I went home. I wasn't able to say much. Laura embraced me even though she didn't want to touch me. She didn't want to be in the same room with me. And you're never, you're never quite the same after an experience like that. And uh, I just want to give a shout out to first responders. If you know any first responders, fire, police, ambulance, cut, cut them some slack because they see stuff like that all the time, especially in Denver. Um, I remember the, the following days, my, my work brought in a, a trauma counselor to help, help us walk through some things and, and talk about it and, and grief. And, you know, when we read, when we read the Old Testament, a lot of times I, I think we do the Old Testament a disservice and we read ourselves into the story too much. So, for example, we read David and Goliath and we preach a sermon on slaying your giants. Or we read Daniel in the lion's den and, and we have sermons on, uh, I don't know, things taming your lions, right? Or, or Joseph is finding your dream. And when really the story of the Old Testament is about God, he is the hero throughout the Old Testament. But there are times where I believe we should find ourselves in the story. And I find myself in the story in Micah chapter seven. When he says in verse eight, though I have fallen, though I sit in darkness, I have sinned against him. I will bear the Lord's wrath. Micah is confessing on behalf of the people, on behalf of himself. He is acknowledging what he's done and um, He's saying, I'm getting what I deserved, and that's typically not our American response to our failures, is not to say, I'm getting what I deserved. Our typical response is to minimize, to make excuses, um, but not to take on our own brokenness, and um, we don't ever think about God, God's wrath or God's indignation or trembling under his displeasure. So in brokenness, it could be, depending on the situation, there could be a need to repent. There could be that you need to be real about your own participation in your brokenness, and it could be that you need to feel the weight of your sin. In the days after the events that I talked about from March 27th, I felt like Micah, like I was sitting in the darkness, like I, I couldn't find my balance. I was, things just were not right. Um, and I'm telling the story from my perspective, but Elora 
is just a mar- part of the story. And she found herself in brokenness, not as a result of what she had done, but because of choices I had made and brought into our, our home and into our, our family. And um, do, you, do you want to know if Elora and I worked it out? We did. We did. Um, and I asked her, I was like, how, like, how were you able to forgive me during that time? How were we able to, to move forward? How were we able to move on? And she said it was because I was repentant and not defensive. And during that time in our life, every week we met with two other couples, uh, like for a community group part of our church. And one of the couples was the, the lead pastor. In fact, we were on staff at the church. And, and so when we get together, we'd, we would just talk and be open with one another. And we can't remember if it was that very night or a day or two later, but we went and met up with our, our community group and uh, I shared the whole story. It was fresh. It, um, and just, like, there it is. There, there it is. Um, and I think if we just are going to be the kind of church where we see people on Sundays, when something like, like what I did happens in your life, and you don't, haven't built community with believers, if you haven't strived for that, then you're going to have to go through it on your own. And that is not God's desire for you. We, we are to carry one another's burdens. And so I shared with, with those two couples that burden, and in a sense, they were now having to carry my burden. Like they, they knew about it. They were having to walk through that time with us. Um, and if I was... If I had teaching points today, my first point would be own your brokenness. Own it. Um, the, in, verse, in Micah 7, verse 8 and 9, the translation we're reading says that he was bearing, bear the Lord's wrath. Another version talks about endure the Lord's anger. And there's this idea of, of patience or, or waiting under the weight of, of the circumstances we find ourselves in. Like we, sometimes we want it, like we, we find ourselves broken and we want an immediate fix, especially for stuff that we've broken. And there's, there is no overnight fix. There is no overnight fix. And um, it, it took several months for our relationship to, um, to come back around. Like it, it wasn't an overnight thing. I had to rebuild trust, right? I, I'd lost all trust. So I had to rebuild uh, the trust that I had lost. And um, if you don't see a change overnight, don't despair. That's my second point. Don't despair. Uh, Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath. That's not the end of the verse. Until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. There is uh, a judgment from God, but then it says, until he pleads my case, until he upholds my cause, he will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. And as bad as it was for Micah and for the people of God, as broken as they were, there was always hope. 
There was always hope. Don't despair. God is not the type of God who leaves us in our brokenness. He is the type of God who pursues us and brings healing and redemption and restoration. And um, in fact, God doesn't treat us like our sins deserve. Amen? Uh, he doesn't sit idly by, but he, act, he takes an active role in fixing the situation and remedying the situation. And, and he knows, and he knew for Micah too, when Micah says, I have fallen, God knows. I have fallen, it's my own fault. But still, God pleads my case. He upholds my cause. So my third point is, trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. And you're like, Matthew, there was no mention of Jesus in Micah. That was way before. Oh, Jesus is everywhere in Micah chapter 7. If you go down a few more verses to the end of, end of the book, the last few verses, verse 18, says, Who is a God like you who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but, to, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledge on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. These verses remind us of God's character and God's promises. God is a type of God who, is, who wants to extend mercy, who is full of compassion, who doesn't hold our sins against us. And then in verse 19, when he says, you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. This is future looking. Like you, you will do that. A day is coming when our, our iniquities, our sins will be blotted out, when God will tread them underfoot. But how will God do that? Well, we know the side of the cross of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. I like that part. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, this, so God can't overlook our sin or God wouldn't be a good God. But God has done something about our sin, something that we couldn't do ourselves. Uh, and there, there is brokenness in our sins we cannot ignore. And, and sometimes we have to, to bear the weight of our sins for a moment. Sometimes there's consequences that are ongoing from choices that we've made. But in the midst of that, there is hope. Um, verse 20 is an allusion all the way back to Abraham. So this is about 700 B.C. If you go back to Abraham, I don't know, another 1,000, 1,500 years, there was a promise. There was a promise that God gave Abraham that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. And we not only look back, but then we look forward from Micah to see that Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. So Micah has been, and the people of God waited for a thousand years up until Micah for this promise of God to be fulfilled, and it wasn't fulfilled in their lifetime, and they had, the people of God had to wait another 700 years before Jesus came, but there was always hope. There was hope that was, for them, 
I think it was certain, but for us, I know it's a certain hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Um, And not only can Jesus overcome our brokenness and our failure, that is precisely why Jesus came, to overcome our failures. And so when, if you're going through a time of brokenness in your life, if, like me, it was your own doing, or like Eloris, you was just along for the ride, the brokenness that was brought, um, and, and your enemy, and maybe it's just your mind begins to tell you, like, you're, you're nothing. Like, you call yourself a Jesus follower and look at you. Remember Micah chapter 7. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Still I rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. He pleads my case. He upholds my cause. My only hope during that time uh, from 2013 was in Jesus. That was the only only thing Elora and I had. I mean, there was, there was times, like right after that, Elora was thinking about leaving and going back to her family for a while. Like she just didn't want to be, be around. She didn't. She, she stayed. And when I look back to that time, and what it has done like, since, like there was a bold brokenness in my life, a, a brokenness when I look back and I'm appalled at my sinfulness, but a boldness when I look at my Savior, that He is enough, that He is enough. And the more I understand the cross of Jesus, the more broken I am over what I did, but also the more confident I am because of who Jesus is. And I started this morning with reading First Corinthians 1 verse 30 says it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become who has become for us the wisdom from God he is our righteousness he is our holiness he is our redemption therefore let no one let the one who boasts boast in the Lord amen we're going to move to a time of communion um in a moment, when we do communion, we, when we take communion together, we will have people at the back if you wanted to, if you need prayer. Like if there's brokenness in your life, you don't have to confess everything, but if you're like, I need, I need prayer. I need, there's, I'm broken, or maybe it's a prayer, you know, someone who is, who is broken. Uh, so when, when we do, you know, we, I'll give some more instruction, but we typically come down the side, and when you go back, you're welcome to, um, go back to your seat, but I would encourage you. We have people that want to pray with you, people that love you, um, and we'll, we'll pray with you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. When we take communion together, the Lord's table, the Eucharist, depending on your church background, we believe that in some way that God is present with us. And as we take communion, it's a, a 
It's a means of grace for us that we have been invited by our Savior, broken though we are, to the table. He invites us to the table. And uh, Najee's going to play a song. You probably have not heard it before, but it talks about our Savior carrying us to the table despite our brokenness. So would you declare with me the mystery of our faith? That Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again.